Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. This feast tonight is precisely 40 days after the birth of our Savior, and it marks the end of the Christmas Epiphany season. In just a few weeks, we will enter Holy Lent in preparation for the great feast of Pascha. This feast, as you know, and I bring this to your attention every year, is known by several different names related to the themes attached to it. We call it Candlemas because we bless the candles for the year on this night. Um, This is a tradition done in both East and West. It's quite ancient. Christ, of course, is the light of the world. And in our Gospel lesson tonight, the ancient Simeon announced that Christ is a light to lighten the Gentiles. And so the church from early on chose this feast to bless candles. It's also called the purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who followed the law of Moses and offered two turtle doves because she was poor in sacrifice for her purification after having given birth. Not because, of course, she needed to be purified, but in solidarity, in identification with fallen man. Thirdly, though, this feast is called the entrance of our Lord into the temple or the presentation of our Lord in the temple. And it's this third theme that I want to focus on tonight. You are probably familiar with the very poetic and mystical parallels of temple imagery associated with this feast. We speak of how our blessed mother, Mary, became herself the ark of God, the temple of God. She herself in her own body became the dwelling place, the house of God. But even before this, she also had a close association with the Jewish temple because as a young girl, as the story goes, she famously ran into the temple and she lived there as a young woman in mystical prayer until that time that she had been prepared to become herself the temple of God. Now greater than the temple of Mary was Jesus himself who, being God, dwelling in a human body, he is the ultimate fulfillment of all temple imagery, which occurs in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Everything about the temple is speaking of Christ. He is the temple of God. All other temples and symbols point to this Jesus of Nazareth, son of man, who is God in flesh. He even said at one point in the gospel, speaking of his body, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews understood the significance, the weight of what he said, and they tried to stone him. On this feast, in which we celebrate tonight, this same Jesus is brought into the earthly Jewish temple. This temple was made by man, made of stone, And yet it was made by the command of God. It is a place where God promised to dwell among his people. It was holy. 
And yet, as we know, it had been profaned. It was even condemned later by Jesus himself, and it was eventually destroyed. And so herein lies this poetic movement of this feast tonight, the entrance of Jesus into the temple, the presentation of Jesus Christ into the temple as a 40-day little newborn. The purified Virgin Mary, she is the temple of God. She brings Jesus, the true temple, into the temple and presents him before God. All of this temple imagery is just another way of expressing the meaning of life, the fullness of why we exist, the hope and the desire of every living thing. But as with all imagery, it speaks to important and practical aspects of our hope. It teaches us where and how to find what we are all looking for. Now the temple, this temple imagery shows up in the very beginning, even at creation. I don't have time to go into it in detail tonight. But in paradise, in the Garden of Eden, paradise is pictured in the scriptures as an arboreal temple. A boreal, made of trees. It is pictured as an arboreal temple, a place where God comes and he dwells and walks and is with man in a place. It's an arboreal temple. The temple that God commanded Moses to build, the tabernacle and then later the temple, it points back to this arboreal temple because you remember all the garden imagery and the plant themes that are carved into the walls and the structure of the temple itself. They're even woven into the fabric of the priest's vestments. They're carved into the actual furniture within the temple. It speaks very profoundly of a return to paradise and the temple imagery that even exists in the garden. To be in the temple is to be with God. It's the place of life. To be outside of the temple is to be in darkness. It's to be cast out of paradise. It's to be out in that world of thorns. It's to be wandering in the land of wanderers. Like Cain, he was cursed and he was cast out that he would wander in the land of Nod, the land of scorpions. It's to be in the wilderness where the demons dwell. It's to be outside the gate. It's to be outside the sheepfold among wolves and that prowling lion. The one story we have of Jesus as a young boy also involves the temple. It's about him in the temple confounding the elders. He's there in his father's house stunning them with his wisdom because he is in fact the very wisdom of God. His parents, they thought they lost him. Of course, he wasn't lost. They were lost. He was where he belonged. He was in the temple in his father's house. And as long as they were apart from him, they were the ones who was lost, not Jesus. Well, if you are looking for Jesus, I can tell you precisely where you will find him. You will find him in the temple, because that's where he dwells. He who is the temple. In our intro tonight, from Psalm 48, we hear the cry of our heart. We wait for thy loving kindness, O God. In the midst of the temple, great is the Lord and highly to be praised in the city of our God, even upon his holy hill. 
The psalmist says we wait for God in the temple. God is in His city. He is on His holy hill. Where is the city of God? Where is this holy hill? Well, it is not hard to find. It is not hard to find at all. It is both an invisible and mystical city, holy hill, and temple, but it is also visible, concrete, and real. There is actually an address. You can plug into your GPS and find this temple. It will lead you right there. And I am not speaking metaphorically. I mean, you can literally plug the address in to your GPS. The temple is divine, but the temple is also human. The homilist in preaching to the Hebrews says, but you have come to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. The preacher to the Hebrews in chapter 10 warns them not to forsake the assembly. And by the assembly, he's speaking specifically of the Eucharistic liturgical gathering of the local church. He then goes on in the next few verses to issue perhaps the sternest warning in all of the New Testament. Right after he admonishes them not to forsake the assembly, he says, For, for if we forsake the assembly, we open ourselves to apostasy and to falling away from the life of God. And the reason is plain. It's very simple. It's because Jesus is in the temple. It's because Jesus is the temple, the church. It is the body of Christ. The church is where you will find Jesus because this is Jesus. This is the temple. You are the temple. We are the temple. We are to be in the temple, being the temple, (laughs) making our souls a holy dwelling place, making ourselves a temple where the Holy Virgin can bring her divine child to us that he can be born in us, that we can receive him with Simeon. We can hold him and receive him into our arms and say, my eyes have seen your salvation. I have heard people who were trying to teach others to focus on the important things in life say that at the time of your death, you will probably not wish you had spent more time in the office not spent more time in bed sleeping or on the couch watching TV or out playing games or in the pub. I think at the time of my death, I think I know what I will wish. I will wish I had spent more time in the temple surrounded by the beauty and glory of God. It is not a radical thing. It is not a radical thing for Christians to be in church together offering worship to God on a daily basis, that actually should be the norm. It was the norm at one time. Morning and evening we gathered every day. 
Not anymore. Some people do. Maybe it's impossible. Maybe it just can't happen. But I can tell you the single best thing that you can do for your salvation is to be attentively, attentively, offering worship in the church as often as possible. Those who come often and are attentive can attest to this. The desire to be with Jesus in the temple. This should dictate everything for us. Oh, I know there are circumstances and God leads us to do certain things, but all things being equal, this should dictate where you live, what job you take, who your friends are. Jesus has a group of friends for you. They are the coolest, Subdeacon David. The coolest <laughs> friends you could ever dream of. I've been telling you, you can come hang out with the three wise men. You can come meet them. Well, tonight, you're with Simeon, that ancient man, and Anna, who spent her life, the prophetess in the temple, praying to God. They're here with us tonight. These are your friends. St. Patrick, St. Paul, this great cloud of witnesses, your patron. The angels, too. St. Michael, St. Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. You even have your own angel. Jesus has especially assigned just to you to be your friend and your protector. Why would we trade these friends for the world? He's woven for you a garment of light and glory. Why clothe yourself in dead animal skins? He's built for you a mansion. This is the mansion. A great and glorious house in which to dwell. Most of all, he's prepared for you a great banquet. He's prepared food. He's prepared for you the very bread of immortality. He has prepared for you his very own flesh, which he feeds you that you may live. All of these things of the kingdom of God, these are all ours, these great riches. And they are here. They are in his temple. They are in his house, among his people. We wait for you, O Lord, in the midst of your temple, where you dwell. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.